This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You're listening to iFanboy Talksplode with writer Rick Remender of Uncanny X-Force, Venom, and Fear Agent. another edition of iFanboy Talksplode. My name is Ron Richards, and for those of you who follow iFanboy know that I've been raving and loving Uncanny X-Force for the past year, and now that the Dark Angel saga has wrapped up and the first uh, 18 issues major story arc uh, of Uncanny X-Force is complete, thought it'd be a good time to catch up with writer Rick Remender and chat about X-Force, as well as Venom, Fear Agent, and his other projects. Uh, We always have fun talking to Rick, and I hope you enjoy it. I'm here with writer Rick Remender. How's it going, Rick? It's going terrifically. Fantastic. Excellent, excellent. So So, happy. So good. So um, you are no stranger to the iFanboy podcast, and we thought it was another good time to to check in as uh, Uncanny X-Force number uh, number 18 just came out this week, and Dark Angel Saga has concluded, um, and it's a big kind of marker in your run on X-Force, right? Yeah, yeah, it ends the ends the first year of stories basically. Yeah. So so first off, I mean I'm sure you've seen me gushing on the internet and talking about it, but I, I believe that it is the best ongoing at Marvel right now. Um I do, yeah, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> 
nice. Good. Yeah. You should as well. But what yeah, I think, you know, I think I think you're right, Ron. Um, <laughs> I think more people should probably recognize that. Yeah. Well, what I what I think is the most amazing about it is that so the the book launched what was it September October of 2010 last year. It was. I don't know. Can I can I rewind it that I was being facetious yes. before? Like the, there's people who don't know us and don't know what we what we do when we talk to each other and they're going to hear me and go, "What a fucking asshole that guy is." <laughs> I really, I'm really more self-effacing. I anyway. You are, you are. No, it is. This is going south. <laughs> I'd like to end this. <laughs> no, but anyway. So one of the things I think is amazing is that in a year of doing the book, you put out eight. Like it's one of those titles that Marvel double shipped a lot, and yeah. I don't think anyone ever complained about the double shipping. Well, some people did, but you know that's what the that's what Twitter is, is there for is to give people a window to throw things at me occasionally. Like, why are you doing this? I'm like. <laughs> Just work. I don't just working. <laughs> I just work. Like, that's the, isn't that that's the great thing about Twitter. Twitter. Twitter's literally like just a million win, a million opportunities for people to throw things at me. Um, uh, but no, for the most part, I and I didn't. I you know I think that the double shipping as long as there's a plan in place and it's well, you know, well in place, well in advance, and you can tell that the writer's not scrambling. Um, we had a big story. We knew, I mean, we knew a year and a half, two years ago when I first took the book that we were going to have to, you know, put out 18, 19 issues a year. Um, we knew that that was what we were going to do going in. And so, uh, Axel and Jody and I, when we first started the thing up, put together a plan that, that got us to the end point at 18, 19 issues. Now, of course, as we were moving, it shifted and, and, and developed a little bit, but, you know, it's it's all sort of seated there in the first issue, and and it goes forward. And I think as long as that's, as long as the story is fluid, um, uh, people are okay with the double ship. But you know, we also benefited from the fact that Esad stuck around to do covers. You know, that never happens. Guys like Esad do a, a run and they go off to the next thing. You know, but Esad Esad stuck it out and and he did the full the full years worth of covers. And Dean White, uh, you know, stuck around to add consistency. Um, the only arc he didn't do was the one Matt Wilson did over Esad. Um, but so, yeah. yeah and, and so now you're standing on an 18 issue complete story arc. I mean, like, you, I mean, I get, and we talked about it. You said that you were planning and you just said that you guys were planning this whole thing, but from issue one, this was your end point, right? I mean, am I reading that correctly or? Yeah. 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 I mean, that was, yeah, it, you know, it was, it was something that. Obviously, at the very beginning, I don't think that there was a, a super definitive like how it was going to end, but it was something that I wanted to explore what was Archangel. And then after I uh, started to, to build on that, you know, Jody had a ton of ideas, and we started working together on, on, on defining the apocalypse mythology and expanding on it. And, you know, then I wanted to... And as that happened, it just made sense to go to the, you know, we need something that deals with Apocalypse X, Y, and Z, some, some you know, MacGuffin-y relic. Uh, why not go to the Age of Apocalypse, you know, and, and think about Wolverine finding out, that, and, you know, stumbling in a dimension where he has, he can see the daughter he never had with Mariko, and he can see Jean still alive and Kurt still alive, and, and Sabretooth is a good guy. And that seemed like a fun, meaty story, for, you know, and it, everything just kind of built out of that one idea that, that, that Archangel is starting to take over Warren, finally, this thing that was began, you know, that began with the Simonsons back in uh, X... Factor 20-something, right? Yeah, like way back in the day. Yeah. 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 Well, that's cool. Well, yeah, well, definitely. I mean, like, it's been, I've been on the edge of my seat for every issue. I mean, it's been the, t- the first book I read every week just to see, just to see the, the layering of, you know, how the story developed and even the way it integrated with, like, recently what happened with, you know, Wolverine and the X-Men over Jason Aaron with, like, the Iceman stuff. Like, the fact that, you know, Wolverine's fighting Iceman and commenting about his powers, then over in Wolverine and the X-Men, Jason picked up on that and had the same thing happen almost. Like, that, it's, it, it's been a good time for the X-Men book. So I'm a little fan, I'm a, a freaking out as a fan a little bit so bear with me yeah well i mean i am too and we all are and yeah. that's why you know when 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 jason and, and kieran and i were at our first retreat all at the same time god it was almost it was two years ago it's, it's so wild because you plan things two years ago and they're just now coming to a to an end um but it was something where it, it, because we all knew each other we wanted to be mindful that if we had an opportunity to try and interconnect our stories and build off of what one another were doing and that's not to say that we're excluding other people because we're not friends with them like oh you know uh, you know they're all they're, they're, they're I don't know that guy writing new mutants so I won't tie into that it was just it was just that because we we actually do communicate and we are friends that it wouldn't it wouldn't it would be easy to try and find ways to interconnect and so everybody at this retreat as we were cooking up our stories 
we all ended up finding little bits of interconnectivity, um, you're going to see a lot of it coming up here in the next two months. Um, the, the one thing that was important was that the events of the, the Dark Angel saga, because they're so big, but they were underground, that, that when that when that oil starts bubbling to the top, that it that it then start to affect the other uh, X books a little bit. And we see that with uh, Uncanny X Men as we deal with um, Psylocke and her return to Tabula Rasa, that city in Montana that that Warren used uh, Genesis to nuke, uh, and then and then regrew an entire new uh, new new area there. And that's you're going to see uh, a lot of that coming up. There's a lot of big plans for Tabula Rasa. There's a you know, basically a new, it's like, you know, alien landscape in the middle of Montana there. And then uh, there will be a lot of different threads. Jason, Aaron, and I are, are, are in constant contact and have tried to tie these things very, very well together. So there's a lot of stuff that, that will then, after you read X-Force 19, you go and you read Wolverine and the X-Men 4 and 5, and you get a, a, a whole, you get the rest of the story kind of picks up there. That's got to be really rough for you to work with Jason Aaron. I mean, I heard he's really difficult. Well, yeah, Jason is. Well, he's not. He's not a real. He's he's not a real American for one. He's part right. of the he's from the South. Right. So, you know, you can't trust him, and he's always drunk on moonshine. And I'm always telling him to make sure to clean the clean the still so he doesn't get mercury poisoning. But he doesn't care, and he gets really surly. Um, <laughs> he comes really, off really nice at the cons, but it's a whole sure. different thing. It's like <laughs> yeah, I. I I told you the three-figure deal. You did tell me the three-figure deal. If you want to retell it, go right ahead. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'll I'll save it. I don't know. Oh, for those of you... I'll give the short version. So uh, one one evening over a few drinks uh, with with, uh, Jason and I think it was Lee Lowridge and I were were talking about... uh, I don't know, Hollywood movie money that comes in every once in a while or something along those lines. And Jason had had a few drinks and he was like, oh yeah, well, you know, that, that, I hear those guys are, you know, that, that guy got paid a three-figure deal for that. And uh, everybody kind of, Lee and I looked at each other and paused the beat and looked at him and we realized that he had just, that, that Jason had just gotten really excited over somebody being paid somewhere between $1 and $999 for, <laughs> for a selling selling a property to Hollywood, <laughs> at which point the, the next seven hours were spent figuring out new ways to insult Jason based on three-figure, his three-figure deal, you know. <laughs> I got, he come talk to Jason, all right, first things first, <laughs> three figures. No, I ain't talking to you less than that. Now they come at me with a two-figure deal, and I said, uh-uh, not Jason. Jason, there's a three-figure deal, man. <laughs> What you putting on the plate there? For ain't three figures, don't talk to Jason Aaron. Um, and then he drank out of his hose and uh, molested and molested his next of kin. I think that I think that's it, on on and on and on. Oh God, that's too funny. But yes, so anyway, back to the comics. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you whether or not, like, the, we were going to see, and maybe it was a question more for Jason, but whether or not, you know, because pretty much the and the whole, you know, the basis of X Force, as you said, was there was the you know the secret black op teams nobody knows about, and you stuck to it over this past year. It didn't seep into any of the other books, but like, you know, big shit happened in this. It's got to have an effect. It seems, you know, like you don't want to tell, you don't want to like the weight of a story shouldn't come from its effect on other books or continuity. But what it naturally does, when it has natural consequences, you know, like there are things in there that that will be no-brainers. When people read issue 19, it'll just be common sense. Yes, this makes sense. This makes sense. Um, there are things that that my book and its mandate fit, and some things that it, it just doesn't fit. And so, when they have an event like what we've had for these last 18 issues and what's left, um, the, the but, you know, especially given what happens with Warren and uh, and Evan and the whole the world and all of this stuff, it's going to have an effect on the rest of the characters. And and I liked that it came about naturally in conversations where I told those guys, like you know, you connect to my book. <laughs> it was like really natural the way I I barked it at them post post postcoital. Yeah. <laughs> so now looking back on the 18 issues, you know, did everything go as you envisioned it? Did it, were there anything that you would do differently or like looking back on this kind of like this, this run, I mean, were are you happy with it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's always this weird, um, there's always, there's always something very strange about your own personal, um, reaction to something that you've worked on versus 
fans' reaction. Um, and and when readers, uh, uh, when people who you know who read something, they get something very different out of it, and it's always it's always a very interesting thing to see. Um, and I, I I I do end up you know uh, scouring the internet at 3 a.m. every every couple few days and out of boredom. And I I was wondering one night, I'm like, why am I doing this? Do I need validation? You know, like, am I this insecure? And I was like, I, I, and I, I'm, I'm really not. I kind of am pretty happy with what I do, and I, I, I just do what I like. Um, and I, but I still go scouring the Internet for this stuff, and I realized it was because several, there's so many different interpretations people take from these things, and people read so much into it. You know, and, and, and that's the fun of writing, is to try and um, hopefully you have your intention, and you can, you can execute your intention in a way where people absorb it, and they really uh, respond to it. But it's a lot of other stuff. So in terms of... Um, the arc so far, there's been issues that I thought were just flat, boring, you know, like things that I just I felt like I had failed uh, and that everybody went apeshit over. Yeah, like what? And, and, uh, <laughs> I'm going to call you out on it. <laughs> I felt like issue. I felt like that, that Shadow King issue was a, was a real turkey. Um, yeah, and I felt like that. I, and then there was one issue that I felt like was a, was a – yeah, I mean the the Shadow King thing I felt was 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 three issues that I that I over condensed into one issue, um, and people liked that, you know, like the I, I like condensed storytelling, but there's also a point where you know it it can't be uh, it 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 can't be so condensed that it just feels like information being shot at you. Um, and the, uh, the my my fear when I was finished with that issue was that that what I had accomplished was to take what was, you know, should, I think it was two issues when I initially broke it down and then it ended up just taking place in like one 22 page issue. Um, and it did, it did feel a little bit too, it, it felt very fast. Um, and so, but I, you know, it came out and it was one of the more popular, whereas the thing I did with Raphael Albuquerque in 5.1, which seeds the descendants and all the stuff I've got, um, um, coming up in X-Force and secret Avengers, uh, this year, um, I was super crazy proud of that. And I thought it was like Albuquerque and Dean White, just like science on the art. And, and I, I, it was Lady Deathstrike and the Reavers back in action. And I, and there was, there was like a mixed, very mixed reaction to that issue. So it's always interesting how your enthusiasm and your love for something and like where you're coming from can, can, can be interpreted. And, and it, it's not, it's very infrequent that you feel super confident about something. And it, it's something that is also, um, that you see that same reaction from the people who read it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's, I'm always fascinated by that, but by you know, kind of because you get so close to it, and then there's no way to know what our reaction is going to be and what's going to trigger with like what triggered with me as a fan is probably much different than what triggered. Well, I know for example, like, even at I fanboy, like I'm a big X Men fan. I geeked out like we talked like in the early issues when when at Warren's base where he had the paintings of the X teams. Like I thought that was great, and meanwhile, like Connor and Josh didn't care about that, but they thought the Opinion's art was great. Like it, it affected different people in different ways. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it always will, and it's always and so for me. I think that's the. It's one of the really fascinating components to this job is to see different people react different ways, and it's a treat. You know what a what a what a great job you get to tell stories and, and watch people react in different ways to them, be it positive or negative. I'm past where it even really affects me emotionally. Right. Uh, either way, it's nice if they like it, but it's almost if the if I read you know solid criticism or if somebody didn't like it, it's almost the same. It's almost the same sort of emotional payout. Yeah, totally. All right, so so now we you know we're at issue eighteen. So what's what's to come? I mean, what, I mean, are you done, or do you got more X Force stories in you? Or uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure, I've got. Um, I, I asked that question knowing that I just put up a preview of issue nineteen, so I know that there's more. But still, it's... oh yeah, that, well, that segue sucked. Okay, um, <laughs> no, good. It's a good job you picked. Um, you're good at the you're good at the job, Ron. Uh, yeah, there are more issues, as you as you just pointed out that you have run a preview of one of them. Um, I, 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 it's what's crazy is that I find uh, getting out of the, the train, uh, getting out of the station, uh, get, getting the train out of the station on a new story is always the hardest part, and taking on a new book. Uh, you know, like my wife pointed out that when I took Venom, I lost six weeks of work because I was just, you know, writing notes, doing my beautiful mind crazy thing where I'm, you know, notepads all over the wall and, you know, streaming jets of jism everywhere. I mean, um, wacky string. <laughs> that, that's how I connect story. 
<laughs> you use silly point. string, you have Kansas. <laughs> I use silly string. And I go, there. Um, but so once I get the, once you get the train going out of the station, um, uh, and things are moving, ideas just start falling. And that's what, that, that's when I really start having fun. So this opening arc, this apocalypse solution is just given birth to so many other ideas that, that it's just, I love kind of building more off of the same mega arc, you know, like you look at what we did in dark angel saga. That's kind of, it's the end of some stuff, but God damn, I mean, there's so much more to be done with that still. And, um, I had wrote, I wrote a note when I wrote issue five, where Betsy goes and has a danger room sequence with her brother Brian, um, who uh, is Captain Britain to people who aren't nerds um, and probably aren't listening to this if they're not. Um, I don't think that any I don't think an investment banker stumbled onto your podcast and was like, "What's all this about?" <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> I've gotten no, feedback. I've gotten, I'm feedback. Not, I'm I've gotten feedback from people who do not read or know anything about comics yet listen to our podcasts. Swear that's to God. wild. Isn't that crazy? That's a weird thing. Yeah. Well, if you're if you're one of those people and you're listening right now, you're a weirdo. <laughs> you're a weird weirdo. That's a weird weird thing to choose to do. Just to listen, because you can imagine what kind of nonsense it sounds like we're talking about. You know, like we sound like we're doing when people make fun of nerds. You know, like well, first of all, Captain Britain showed up in seventeen time of year, and we take it all super serious. You know, issue seventeen is pathos. We're very well established there. Like, it's definitely what we sound like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, but I'm, but I'm not quite sure. Anyway, I'm not quite sure whether they're I laughing, think. whether those people are laughing with us or at us. So that's still yeah, open maybe to, yeah. maybe a little both. This could be pretty actually a pretty good funny, pretty good bit, bit of comedy if you were if you were a normal. Yeah, exactly. That's what I call people who are uninitiated into, into our, our our little nerd attic. Um, but so Betsy was hanging out with her brother Brian Braddock or Captain Britain. <laughs> they were. And it was the scene where Betsy had created uh, a hologram of her brother so he could absolve her of her sins and forgive her and love her and tell her what she wanted to hear. Yeah. Um, and the intention was always that she that Betsy created this because she needed it. She needed the acceptance, and, and I wanted to start getting people used to her, who her family, uh, you know, members are. But I, I wrote a note down like, but Brian would absolutely be be. <laughs> would not forgive her for this. Right. <laughs> this is absolutely not what Brian would do. Um, and and that, that gave birth to, man, you know what I like? I like fantasy. I like giant dragons, and I like Captain Britain Corsman's coming from other, you know, dimensions, riding in on mummy horses and, 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 and giant floating castles and troll warlords and man, we've gone, I've gone, I've gone Dungeons and Dragons crazy on this shit. So, um, I, I, I picked up that thread of, of the Captain Britain thing in Otherworld, and then it, it started fell into another story where um, <clears throat> Phantom X, as I'm building his origin, has uh, connective tissue to the Braddocks. And um, um, I've been working really hard with, with current editor Nick Lowe to make sure this stuff all lines up. Um, we're not going to reveal um, everything, but we'll be touching on who Phantom X is and his origin and his arch nemesis, the skinless man, and, and a few other things here um, as we as we progress. And that all tied into Otherworld. He has a you know uh, these these sentient bullets that Phantom X uses were a gift from James Braddock, which is Elizabeth's father. And there's all of this interconnectivity that I that I then built the, the the first part of the second year of stories on, and that's that's the other world chapter that's coming up. Uh, and I got my last days of American crime artist Greg Tokini to come in um, and and draw that. He's been doing a great job. So it's been like it's just does the story doesn't slow down. You know, it 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 it, uh, it what happens at the end of eighteen is really just. Um, it's a punctuation and then 19 we catch our breath for a second and then by the end of 19 the other world story is off and running and then that leads into uh the four other stories that 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 will then culminate in something very similar to the dark angel saga in terms of scope um i think probably around issue 32 or 33 cool so um that's one thing i wanted to touch upon as well too quickly um is with phantom x i mean that's been that's really been the like the dark horse sleeper hit of the series is that you've kind of reintroduced Phantom X to a whole new audience and like and now people fucking love that character now whereas previously it was just that weird dude that Morrison introduced um like again was that one of those happy accidents or did you know that like Phantom I'm going to make Phantom X a player um well Jason Aaron and and Fraction were the guys who went to went to 
bat to try and, and really get him back on the board. And I think it was Jason's, um, the list issue, uh, the list Wolverine, where uh, he, he, he reintroduced the world and Phantom X and uh, established that the world um, um, was, was being shrunk down to the size of a snow globe and kept in Phantom X's pocket by a shrink ray gun that Phantom X acquired from Doctor Doom. Um, so Jason seated that there, and then um, uh, when Phantom X was available and, and assigned to the X-Force uh, 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 squadron, and I started to put together the pieces, I realized what Jason had done was to set up something that, that gave me like a million ideas. Um, you know, and, and Jason and I had uh, at that point been talking about Deathlock quite a bit, and um, um, I had uh, some ideas for something that was going to, um, um, that I didn't know quite what to do with these, these Deathlock ideas. Like we had cooked something up while he, before he did uh, the, the, his Deathlock story in Weapon X that would be a part two to that that I would tell. Uh, and then I realized that it fit very well in this story um, as did Deathlock, as did, as did the world. So a lot of these pieces are things that Jason had, had put on the board and I picked them up and ran with them and, and built them up a little bit. Um, so in terms of Phantom X, the, uh, uh, I don't think I would have, I don't think I would have had the instinct to choose him. I, I definitely don't think I would have, uh, you know, that's the great thing about something where, you know, at the end of an issue, Jason says, Oh, and the world has shrunk down and it's in Phantom X's pocket. And then I inherited Phantom X and I was like, I called Jason and I'm like, so this, this has this been changed? <laughs> <laughs> did you put? Did you give him? Did he, does he has he shrunk down the world and he keeps it in his pocket? And Jason's like, "Yep." And I'm like, "And nobody's done anything with this." And he's like, "Nope." And I was like, "All right, fuckers." <laughs> that was a really that was uh, you know uh, a big tip of the hat to Jason on that one because that was a really great uh, that was a really great setup to get to play with. And as for the character and his voice and what I what I do with him, um, you know, I, I reread all of Grant's stuff twice. I made a ton of notes about what I thought the character was about. I have a slightly different interpretation of how the misdirection works. Um, uh, but for the most part, I was very, um, you know, like in issue 19, we, we see him drink a beer by pouring it on his head, um, you know, or, or cooling his brains down or whatever, whatever, whatever Grant was thinking when he had him do that. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I want to be, you know, like it's Grant's character. Uh, you know, I right. want to. I want to make sure that I'm. I'm. I'm respectful and, and reverent of what he had done there, without being slavishly tethered to to that. And, uh, and hopefully, what's built up out of that is something that people enjoy. Yeah. So, cool. So, um, so the last thing on Uncanny X Force before I want to ask you about your other stuff, but uh, the, the 18 that just came out, issue 18, um, the whole end of Angel and with Betty, uh, with Betsy, not Betty, Betsy. Um, I, I I tweeted it. I don't know if you saw it, but I never thought I'd get choked up during an X Force comic. <laughs> like, like, and that's the thing about this comic is that it's been surprising and unexpected at every turn. And the fact that you went so emotional with that, like, that was some hardcore shit, man. That was like, <laughs> like I mean, yeah, it was a big fight, but then it got all it got all sad. Like that was. <laughs> well, it's all context. Yeah, you know, I know. That's but the thing that all these books, all these books, you know. Um, we all get and, and I to be fair, I rewrote I rewrote those last two issues three times. And I mean when I say rewrote, I mean final script had been done and uh Jody and I would get on the horn and come up with better ideas and rework it and rework it and rework it. And I rewrote those from ground three times each. Um and each time the question was, Can I get away with fewer scenes of wild child swiping at Archangel? And add in something that actually makes me care about these characters, and and uh, that that thought led to the the solution to um, to Betsy's uh, death persona being a flashback to the first time that Betsy and Warren met um, in, in in the prior issue where we see the hell the Hellfire Club sequence, um, and, and that instinct leads to a lot of things where your your um, you're writing these action sequences and they're so easy to get lost into. He jumps here, flips over there, kicks this, you know, the ground crashes in wide angle as they fall into the next level. And I start storyboarding in my head and I'll forget, well, why do I care about this fight? What are the stakes? And, uh, that instinct will always force me to sort of step back and go, all right, your real responsibility here is, is human emotion and to make me care about these people. 
and not just because I've seen them in a comic book a million times. You know, like, no, not the guy who was in the other comic books. <laughs> Don't kill him. Uh, but in terms of actually make me give two shits and every single time I read the book. So it's, 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 it's a trick. Um, and it's, it can be hard to do to, to establish the, you know, any kind of pathos and to make anybody really care about these characters uh, again. But that was uh, the goal here anyway, was to make sure that what we had at the ending was more than just um, that it was satisfying and heartfelt. And it really was very important to me to, to answer the question was Phantom X right? Was Betsy only with Warren because she was trying to, um, she was trying to save him from, from himself or she was, she felt obligated and felt a sense of responsibility. And the answer is, while that might've been a component to their relationship, which was complex, um, it was, it was, these two loved each other and had they been normal people in normal circumstances, they could have lived their lives together and enjoyed normalcy and, um, I felt like it was kind of a cool thing. If you're going to kill one of the original five X-Men uh, to give them that closure and to give them the, uh, you know, give them that satisfaction of seeing this is the life these guys really deserve to have. And, and to see, you know, to, and to see Warren clean of all of this stuff, reflecting on just how far the X-Men have come from where they, where they should be and what, what Xavier originally intended. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it, it it carried all that emotional weight. Like, throughout the whole series, you kind of got that sense, but then that whole sequence of them seeing their life go through, and it was great. And then I got to give you a great last page with the explosion in the background, the snow, and like, it's, it was cinematic. Uh, it, yeah. It's that easy to write. It's yeah. easy to write. It's easy to write, you know, she she runs to Warren and kisses him. Yeah. Warren pushes her away, looks at her confused, pull back wide, and, and she says, who are you? Um, I don't even know if I wrote having the world blowing up in the background. I think that's because Jerome Pena is a fucking genius. Yeah, insane. Um, and, and 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 really, as much fun as it is to sit here and, and talk about it, like it's so much of it is Jerome. I mean, the storytelling. I can cut dialogue out and the emotion that is conveyed. So much of it is because this guy knows how to. Uh, he knows how to stage a scene. He knows how to tell a story. He knows how to convey real human emotion on faces and subtlety. Like, everybody thinks they need to sell you every single thing uh, with an exclamation mark and everything in Jerome's. Is you'll catch a face, and it'll, it'll give you the information you need, and a lot of the times it'll be very subtle information. Yeah. Um, and he cares about conveying the story. Like, there's a scene in there that nobody picked up on that... Um, Jerome, you know, Dark Beast has this backpack that has a dimensional gateway to his laboratory where he can just call out whatever he needs. Um, we've seen him pop a rocket pack out and all these different things. Uh, and there's a scene where he has to rocket pack away with war in one hand and pestilence in the other. Jerome has him grow a cable uh, robot arm uh, before he lifts war up. And if you look at the shot where he's rocketing towards you, if you look at his arm, yeah, he's got this super cyborg arm where he's holding war. Yeah. And it's in the corner crammed into a, a, a wide angle horizontal panel and but he cares so much that the suspension of belief that every bit of the story is conveyed and there's no like well dark beast can't carry war and i i like that he cares about that stuff that much you know i like it because there's no there's no jump between panels where i go oh well i guess they're just not going to deal with that it's all it's all very responsibly dealt with um so it's it's a treat i mean yeah i think that was Jerome, um, the way he staged that, showing the world blowing up in the background. That was that was a Jerome call, um, and of course, then Dean comes in and, and just makes it into this, just this spectacular image, um, and it makes me makes me look really good. <laughs> it, it looks great. It looks amazing. So, um, so yeah. So congratulations, great job, and I can't wait for more on X Force. But uh, one of the big announcements. And New York Comic Con was Secret Avengers. Uh, you and Gabe Hardman taking over Secret Avengers, and I thought it was interesting that you've been doing the kind of the Secret X Men team, and now you're taking the Secret Avengers team. You know, like that's uh, a little bit of a thread. Marvel, and yeah, and and, with, <laughs> and the Secret Spider Man guy. Yeah, exactly with Venom. Yeah, what's with the C? Why do you like secrets, Rick? Why are you so secretive? <laughs> I, they, they, I, that, that's just Marvel's vision for me. <laughs> keep, keep, keep that guy in, keep, keep that guy in his own corner, away from the rest of us. <laughs> so, um, so. A couple of questions about Secret Avengers, though. So, it, uh, the, one of the big surprises was we saw that team, that great Gabe Hardman team shot, and Captain Britain is in it. And so, is there some Braddock? Like, are you just obsessed with the Braddocks, or why are you? Why? <laughs> I got. I, I really became, and I was. I, I really dug the shit out of them as a kid, but they were never like the the mo my most 
Mark's favorite thing. And, you know, I remember when, um, uh, when Excalibur launched, I went back and found all of the, U- a lot of the Marvel UK stuff to read up on him and, and, and what had gone on, especially given how much of the continuity was picked up from what Alan Davis and Alan Moore and, and Claremont had done. Uh, and I liked it, but I liked all that stuff. You know, it wasn't, it was never a particular favorite of mine, but again, the scene that I wrote where Betsy was pretending to talk to her brother, uh, after killing, having been, been involved in the killing of Kid Apocalypse, um, it, it started notes and I started writing notes. And then again, in issue eight, you know, you're in Betsy's subconscious and I needed, I needed two halves of her conscious to be arguing. And what better than, than Jamie, her, her former playboy brother who became, you know, uh, this just nut job who can twist reality. Um, he can pull at the strings of, of reality and change causality, causality to, to fit his, 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 every, his every whim. And her brother, Brian, has been forced to basically become Captain, uh, you know, Captain uh, 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 Omniverse, protector of everything, um, as well as, you know, head of, head of MI-13 and, 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 and Excalibur and all these other things. And then you get to Otherworld, which has this rich history in Marvel Comics, and it's this great fantasy land, and it's basically, you know, the way Thor and these things play off Norse mythology. This is playing off of Celtic, and it's got, like, Merlin, and it's got, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the you know, Arthurian Camelot stuff, and um, it's very similar. It, it, it's, you know, it, in terms of taking old mythology and, and introducing it in the Marvel Universe. And it was something that Stanley and Kirby introduced, I think, in like FF59 or I don't know, something, when they first went there and it was called Avalon. So it's got this old, it's got this rich history. It's a Stan and Jack thing. It, it, it's, it's, it's a wonderful Dungeons and Dragons dimension that is also the dimension uh, between all other dimensions. Right. The origin of magic. And there's a tower, uh, there's the Tower Otherworld within the Starlight Citadel that has a door that leads to every other dimension. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, fuck. Well, <laughs> well fuck. Nobody's, nobody's grabbed for this toy? Like, uh, you, can, you guys can have Iron Man. Fuck that shit. This is amazing. Like, I don't... I, this is where I got to go. Yeah. And, and so uh, in terms of, like for me, like the fun about the Marvel Universe is not the toys that everybody's trying to grab at and, and that you see in seven different books because it becomes, you know, diluted uh, for, for sure. Uh, but it's the things like this. It's the things that have had so many different great minds help build on it. In this case of Avalon and Otherworld, Stan, Stan Lee, uh, Chris Claremont, Alan, Alan Moore, Alan Davis. I mean, that's, that's some rich history. Why isn't this place being, exp- being you know, explored more often? So that's where it comes from for me. And then I get into all of the, you know, Roma and Merlin and the stuff that they were dealing with with the X-Men forever. And, and, so this and is, then this is real deep Claremont shit that you're getting into. Yeah, yeah, I, and, it, yeah. And, it, and it is. Yeah, absolutely. But beyond that, beyond all of that stuff, I can define this in a way that a new reader is just going like, this is a, this is a really, really awesome new place to go have adventures and look around. Yeah. Um, and when you've got a guy like Greg Tokini drawing it, you, you, you better be doing some double-page spreads of three-headed dragons chasing your, your team. <laughs> and, uh, and given that we're you know, going back there, you better bring back Widget and put Megan in the mix oh, and man, have really? a sort of fake little Excalibur uh, reunion of sorts. Um, I got some. I got some moments in here that fans of old X Men fans will 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 scream and squeal about uh, in, in excitement. I, I think I did when I came up with it. You, you're not. You're um, not bringing back TechNet. Uh, I, I would love to. There's no time. There's so <laughs> many of those. But 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 <laughs> were there interest? I would. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think Otherworld beyond all of the different fringe things that were created in in, in that run. I think Otherworld is a stage and is a place. Um, I, you know, so I, long story short, and I'm sorry for babbling no, here, no, but as great. I was building this stuff, especially with the Tower of Otherworld within the Starlight Citadel, I began to I began to get fixated on this, uh, on how much potential there was. And so when I was uh, uh, when I was assigned to Secret Avengers, um, Captain, one of the mandates of the team. Because as interesting as international is, I want more. Uh, and if this is going to be the clandestine squad of the Avengers who are often secret doing secret things, I want them to be dealing with international and interdimensional and supernatural threats, um, all manner of threats that are bubbling underneath the surface. And so um, Captain Britain was a natural choice, given that he has access to every single doorway, to every single what-if dimension ever created. 
and that's something that you know I'm definitely building an arc off of at least. Yeah, that's yeah. so. I mean, that that was kind of my question was that you know with Captain Britain and the Avengers, it was kind of, everyone kind of went huh because for some reason everyone thinks Avengers are just American. Even though right. Black Panther and you know there have been right. international presences on the Avengers team, um, but then um, for, so everyone has got this you know American centric view, which uh, which I'm not surprised by. Um, but then also you know given what his back history was, and he's never really Captain Britain's one of those guys that's never really come over to the Avengers. I mean he had, he had, and there was Excalibur and the X Men, and then there was the Marvel team up days when he was a, when he was Spidey's roommate. Do you remember that? Um, oh yeah, huh? yeah. Right, yep. But beyond that, he never really interacts with the rest of the Marvel universe. So it's like I'm so excited yeah. about that. Yeah, me too. And he's such a great character. And I think that the thing, you know, he's a he's a he's a, a physicist who was forced to accept magic in order to be you know uh, to be saved after a terrible accident. And and I'm trying to redefine. I'm trying to take bits and pieces from all of these different incarnations because every time a new writer takes him on, there's always new rules to his powers. And so I've developed this thing where that is because Merlin is testing him all the time. And as soon as he as soon as he overcomes one batch of um, of personal uh, insecurities or failings, then the power set changes to test him again. And when I came up with that, that's the kind of stuff that we did with Archangel. You know, it was like there's obviously going to be holes in continuity because five different writers handled it over five years. Uh, I want to also try and clean that up, and that's just a weird nerd instinct that I have, but. Um, so one of the things that we did was to, you know, to clean up that mythology and to clean up how his powers work. And we really focus on that more in Secret Avengers than we do in X-Force. Um, X-Force, he plays, he plays a big role, but I, that's obviously, he's not the focus of the story. And so I wanted to save the, the Brian building stuff for, for the Secret Avengers. So, so is it, do you advise somebody who's, who's into Secret Avengers and going to read it? Should they be reading this X, the X-Force arc that's coming up? Yeah, I mean, you gotta. I, I, honestly, I think it, you gotta just you gotta just spend the net. You gotta catch up on. Uh, you gotta catch up on, on X Force Venom and and start my Secret <laughs> Avengers because I'm interested. Well, because Venom, yeah, because Venom's in Secret Avengers as well too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It flashes yeah. and, and 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 that's gonna play a big role. I mean, you know, there's gonna be a lot of there's gonna be a lot of stuff that comes out of that. So. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, again, with the interconnecting of the dots, when I'm writing one thing that has a natural connection to another. Um, uh, as long as it's not forced, as long as it comes about naturally, as I'm writing, I go, oh, you know, well, okay, you know, Brian and Brian and uh, Brian and Betsy haven't had it out yet, and this and that, and no, oh, well, what happens if this happens, and what if this and that? And Betsy and Brian have a psychic connection, and they can see what the other person's up to, and all of a sudden, I've got a brother and sister on each on on the Avengers, you know, uh, covert squad, and and on the X Men hit squad. Um, and that leads to all kinds of fun interconnecting things. Um, one of the big things is the descendants, which um, this automaton species that are. Are they all? Are they all named Milo or? What's that? Are they all yeah. named Milo? They're all named Milo. Every one of them. <laughs> None of them want to grow up. Um, <laughs> Sorry. The uh, but the uh, um, this is something that I that I've been working on um, since before the first issue of X Force even came out, and it was a big idea I had about the uh, the evolution of the Marvel robots. You know, we're always fixated on the evolution of the humans and the mutants and the you know Jim Jams, and I'm like, you know what? What about the robots? Because this is you know Ray Kurzweil with Singularity and all these really interesting theories about what's going to happen to mankind in the next couple hundred years as we bond with our robotics and our and our and our circuitry and our technology. Um, what about the next generation of all of these robots? And so um, the character Father came about as Jody and I were, were working, were working uh, back and forth, figuring out uh, how to make some of this stuff work. And it was so rich and so big that all we could really do is tell a very small chunk of it with the Deathlocks. But the Deathlocks are just one piece of this giant puzzle um, that uh, Father's involved with, as well as a number of uh, characters we haven't introduced, and they're all... Um, these these really terrific and very cool sentient conscious living breathing procreating versions of the you know there's the the sentinots there's the the doomborgs there's uh, machine people there's the life model destructoids there's the legion of the deathlocks there's uh, there's all of these you know there's the ultravisions there's all of these these clans now of 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 uh, hyper evolved um, sentient uh, descendants of the famous Marvel robots, and that gave birth to a lot of big stories that that we'll both be seeing in Secret Avengers and uh, Uncanny X Force. So you know, if you uh, 
if you like that sort of thing, you should totally read both of those books. That's awesome. So um, <laughs> it's kind of mind blowing, actually, when you think about it. <laughs> It's got a lot of potential, and you know those are the. It's nice to be in a situation where, when you have an idea like that, um, you know I've done plenty of automaton revolution stuff in Fear Agent and and robot robot species, and and it's fun. But I think that this is this is a very unique uh, idea that that only really works in in a mainstream you know comic universe like Marvel because I can then take these things and and kind of. Uh, you know they're recognizable. It's it's like a, a living. You know, like Emperor Doomborg is going to be a, a, a character who leads the you know the the Doomborgs, and um, and you know the, each one of these char- each one of these clans of of species have leaders, and they're all individuals. And then the biggest of all of them are the Adaptoids, which uh, the Adaptoids are obviously evolved from the Super Adaptoid, and where Sentinels hunt mutants, the Adaptoids hunt Avengers, and they have a very you know personal reason to be doing this, and so building all of these new species that come out of these famous Marvel characters is something you can only really do in a situation like this. And it, it really gets, uh, it gets exciting. You have a lot of fun world building this stuff. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, you're working with Gabe Hardman on secret Avengers and you guys did a Dr. Voodoo story before, right? But that, other than that, that's the only time you've worked together. Yeah. Yeah. He came in and, and helped out on a couple of issues of Dr. Voodoo and, and man, it was just such a treat. He's, uh, he's so good. And it's just, you know, he's just, he's a world-class storyboard artist, storyteller in general. And so, um, I, and I, I had seen his work with, uh, he and Jeff are frequent collaborators and I had seen his work on agents of Atlas and always been floored by it. So it was a real treat. Um, so when uh, when when they said that he might be available for this, I was very excited. So has he come around on the Captain Britain? Because when we talked at New York Comic Con, he's like, "Yeah, I don't I don't see it." <laughs> I don't know if he has or hasn't. He draws him great. Yeah. We came up with a thing where Captain Britain's costume sh- uh, shifts into a darker version when he's in cool. overt acting mode. Because um, it's a it's a science suit, you know. For me, like Captain Britain's armor is just a battery pack on an iPhone, and it collects the it collects the magic from uh, from Avalon and another world, and, and stores it for him and power. And he is, it's his integrity and his courage and his heart and his belief in himself that then you know draws the magic and uses it. Um, so I like the idea that this he's, he's like he's like Iron Man powered by magic in a certain it kind of you know but really it's him that's powering it. Um, I do a better job of explaining it in the actual book, I promise. No, no, I was just, my, my immediate thought is, shit, man, we don't deserve the level of quality that you're bringing to, to this. Like, it's like, I just, uh, you're talking about what makes up Captain Britain, and I'm just thinking about, like, the past years of, well, Captain Britain MI-13 was good. Paul Cornell did a great job on that. But, like, the, the last volume of New Excalibur that we had, where they tried to explain the, you know, the, the sword and the, 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 not the shield, but the rose or whatever, you know, like the, the scepter or the sword, you know, like those two different directions. Captain Britain can take and and it was just so awful and like to hear you talk about g- actually giving thought to Captain Britain and, and I, I, I like I want to read this right now like that's so it's like I'm, I'm oh that's a, that's a good that's a good sign yeah. I haven't really talked a lot about this with too many people so it's nice to nice yeah. to hear yeah. nice to hear that that is it's nice to hear a fellow a fellow a fellow geek respond that way because I'm not you never know so hopefully it it works out I mean I've got enough belief in it and the ideas came in such in such a solid tidal wave and hit me so hard that I pushed for, you know, not only an entire X-Force arc, but to start building him as a major character in the Avengers. Uh, and, and people agreed. So, you know, I like when, when, when guys like Tom Brevoort and, and Nick Lowe and Jody LaHoop were, were, were agreeing with those ideas. I got to assume that there's something behind them and hopefully, you know, the, the end result will, will warrant all the time and energy put into to, to sort of trying to, to, you know, dust him off again and, and give him. Yeah, give him a, oh, I can't wait. Life. Can't wait. So, um, but then also on Secret Avengers, like you mentioned, is Venom, and you've been you've been rolling on Venom, and that's been another surprise. And that how good that I mean, I just I, you know we joked about it when we first started. I was like, really, Venom, Venom? But you know, sure. the the and in somehow you survived Spider Island, and it actually made the crossover better. Like I was skeptical of that too. It was just. Like, I, look, I mean, you know, I've got a chip on my shoulder. I don't think I, anybody who knows me knows that. You know, like, I, I, did I go to Marvel to take Venom? Can I Can I be honest? You yeah. know, absolutely fucking not. I didn't. <laughs> absolutely did I not give up all my creator-owned books to come do Venom. Yeah. And uh, now now that said, Stephen Wacker's listening to this going like, never work for me again. Well, I can, I can guarantee Steve Wacker's not listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Let's be well, honest. good. I'm, then let's talk about Wacker. Um, no, but... Um, I like working with Steve quite a bit, and he and Slot had put together a really good, a really good, uh, a, a really terrific setup here with with Flash, and 
And it was talking with Wacker as he sold me on this because, you know, he's he's a bright guy too, and he it's his, it's his job to like try and make these things, uh, you know, good. And he's he Steve's, you know, man, Steve's taken that stuff and done some amazing. I mean, look at the line right now. Look at Daredevil and Punisher and and, and Moon Knight and everything he's done with these street books. And so. Um, Dealing with Steve on on this thing that they had set up, I got excited about Venom um, because the setup worked as, a, as such a character piece, and it really does. You know, it's a former bully, you know, who, uh, who turned alcoholic. It's like this very tragic figure, Flash, who has never really been given that much attention or that much focus. But when you mix him with the Venom symbiote that feeds off of these negative emotions, and you know the setup, I don't have to go through it all. Um, but when when Wacker sort of presented it to me. Um, it was. I just wanted to give it a shot, and I also see it like a challenge, you know. And that chip on my shoulder is like, all right, well, you know what? It's Venom. <laughs> it's there's. I'll be honest. There haven't been a lot of Venom books that, that I gave two shits about. Um, to be honest, you know, like look, fuck it. If anybody's listening to this and they're a big Venom fan, they're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. When uh, <laughs> when when I when I first heard it, my I had a knee jerk reaction, like, eh, no. But then as I, as I heard the setup and found, I really fell in love with it and, and heard the passion that Slot had for, for Flash, it really helped me buy into this. And I just made my mind up, like, look, if this is the assignment that I'm being given right now and, and I'm really fortunate enough to pay my bills writing stories, um, then it's my job to dump everything I've got into this. And if Venom is an uphill battle, if Venom is something where everybody has a predetermined sort of sense of what it is and that they're only going to care so much about it, then it's my job to pour so much into it that because you really have to, you have to exceed expectations on something like Venom, uh, like triple fold and all in order to make anybody pay any kind of attention to it. Um, and and I, we, I, I just gave it everything I had and I don't know that uh, people seem to respond to it. The reviews are great. Um, the book sells very well. And um, so hopefully it continues to, you know, it continues to be something that people enjoy reading. I know that, um, when it, when it I've never I haven't put anything I haven't put at, you know other than fear agent maybe I haven't put as much personal stuff into into writing a character or getting into a story yes. as I have in, in, in this some of that stuff I mean some of the, the, the with his dad and the and the family relationship stuff I mean like it's it's not a direction I thought Venom would go in and I like that because it's challenging like I I'm you know as I get to be an older comic book reader like I'm attracted to artists that aren't that don't look like everyone else I'm attracted to stories that aren't the same story I've read for the past twenty years and this, sure. yeah that was you know, totally did that. You know, with Tom Fowler and Tony Moore just killing it, and and give and yeah. you make Venom into a tragic figure, like or it's not. It wasn't about Venom. It's about Flash. Like the book it's should be called. Flash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same way that Iron Man's about Tony uh, yeah. Tony Stark. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's about Flash, and that's what I really fell in love with. Yeah, you should make uh, Iron Man about Tony Moore. Yeah, that's almost what I said. <laughs> I know. Yeah, <laughs> you should. I, <laughs> <laughs> you missed the deadline, Iron Man. <laughs> Uh, he's like, Tony. Tony's Tony's been keeping all his deadlines lately. Yeah. Well, speaking of Tony, you're, so he's where he's coming back, and he's doing the bookend part of the big uh, February every every day of Venom comic comes out event. <laughs> every day of Venom comic, yeah. And I and I, it's funny because I got a lot of people like I really love this book, but you guys are doing a lot in February, huh? And it's 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 um, man. I hope people buy it because you know Marvel did this because they really like the story that we had cooked up, and they and they and they really have responded to to the uh, to the stuff here. I, I think it's so good. I mean, I don't know. I just got done doing the final pass, and issue thirteen is thirty pages penciled and inked by Tony Moore with a with a with a uh, alternate cover by Walt Simonson for for it's all for for three ninety nine. Like for three ninety nine, we're just trying to like. Everyone's like, well, it's three ninety nine for twenty pages. Boo hoo! You know what I think? I think I'll give you thirty pages of one of the best working guys. You know, Tony Moore is, in my opinion, one of the top fifteen guys working in comics. We're going to give you thirty pages by him with a Walt Simonson cover, and it's like a story that we've bled. Like I'm just, I, I just, I don't see how you could not love it. It's, it's. I, I love it. I yeah. don't know. Well, but, and I mean that's similar. I mean, people people bitch and moan about Fantastic Four six hundred that it was seven ninety nine, but it was a hundred pages of story. There was right. no reprints. There was no anything like that. I mean, three ninety nine for thirty pages of Tony Moore. I'll sign up for that. But like, but that's interesting because you know you got people bitching about the prices, and then honestly, you know, like I covered the we covered. I was on the press conference with you when we were when Marvel announced it. We were talking about it, and and even I went, wow, you know, like six six weeks of straight comics going through. I mean, as the creator, you're you're pouring yourself into the into the project. Does it does it chip away at you when you go and you see fans bitching because it's coming out six weeks in a row and they're bitching about having to pay for it? 
Uh, even I'm, I, 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 I guess I get it. You know, everybody's the cynicism at this point. Everybody is cynical. Every, they, they, you know, the companies have burned people. I don't give a shit. Everybody knows that. I mean, it's not like I'm saying anything that's a secret. Every company has burned the fans on some level on something where they've realized that they're now buying something that they're not enjoying. And it was just something that was ancillary and not a lot of love put into it. I've worked myself to death my entire career to make sure anything I'm associated with hits a certain level. Um, in my mind, the, the level in based on my tastes and, and what I consider to be quality. Um, and I, I've always thought of, you know, I, I did two books that will remain nameless early in my career that I rushed out. Um, and, uh, I realized after doing them, like, well, what the fuck was the point of that? You know, like, what was that? That wasn't your best work. And so let's say, you know, 8,000 people, that was their first experience with you. And they're like, they're not going to come back. They're going to think, you know, I paid cash for this and you gave me like meh, half, half what you're capable of. So, you know, I'd say, you know, for the last five years, I, I, I don't think that there's anything that I've put out that I, that I can't get behind. I've, I've really worked myself to death. And so in terms of this, I hope that over, over amount of time, I can build a reputation with the mainstream fans as well, where they'll know that I'm not going to, I'm not going to do something like this unless it's good or, or uh, I'm, I'm just not interested in it. Right. And, um, and I know that from knowing you for as long as I've known you and your work and stuff, I've known that the quality comes from it, but it's like, even me writing about it, like I, I get excited when you have an announcement because I know it's going to be good. And then I get, I get a little crestfallen when the, my commenters are like, well, fuck that. It's, you know, I'm like, no, but it's going to be good. Rick cares, you know, <laughs> so. I, I, and I'll just, I'll have to earn it. You yeah, know, you have yeah. to earn it one book at a time. I tell you this, um, the spider Island stuff was fun and I used it to really develop the rest of the stuff with Flash's dad. But um, the story picks back up on issue ten, and it goes like a, like a freight train into into you know, an orphanage. It, it it's a, it's a fucking mess. What what we're doing to this book? I mean, it's awesome mess. But the the story the story is on. I just got done um, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen are all you know put to bed now, so I can see the first arc coming out of Spider Island, and um, it's it's it's. You have no idea what to expect, and that's the kind of comic books I like. You know, we we spend a lot of time developing Jack O' Lantern, which is I, a character I've really begun to dig writing. Um, but by the time the crossover comes, um, it, it's unlike anything else you'll be able to to get on the comic book stands, and it's it's all dumped in and in, in, in dipped in love by Tony Moore for the first issue. That's thirty pages by Tony. Then Rob Williams comes on for two issues dealing with two characters. He knows really well the new Ghost Rider and X-23. It's, it's, they're all together. It's all big. One, like at this point, I, I, I don't want to – I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that once the initial concept was there, the rest of this was, was worked up with, with, um, with Jeff Parker and Rob Williams and I. We all, we all worked up the, the, the story and worked very hard to make sure that it was something we were all really proud of. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, I mean, the direction Venom's been going in, I mean, the fact that you could work in, like I said, all the emotion stuff and then put him on Cap's 1970s motorcycle. And then, um, <laughs> and I'm a big Red Hulk fan. So, like, I'm, I'm all about Jeff. Jeff Parker, I think, is doing great work on Thunderbolts and Hulk. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah so, so, I mean, I think it's going to be good. I'm buying all the issues and that, that, like, and that's why I think people, people realize I don't get this shit for free. Like, if right. I want to read your stuff, I've got to buy it, too. So it's like... <laughs> yeah. So. I think that you'll get your money's worth on this. I know that um, <clears throat> I've read I've read everybody's issues that are all terrific. It's an explosion of insanity, um, but we made sure that it was a character piece more than anything else. So it's four characters that everybody go, oh, it's like the Red Hulk. Oh, it's the girl Wolverine. Oh, it's Venom. Oh, it's the new Ghost Rider. The idea was that, you know, with, with characters like this... Um, these are the kind of characters that we can bend more, and these are the kind of characters we can tell you know, character stories with. And so after the high concept was cooked up and we really got into the nuts and bolts of the plot, um, the number one priority that Jeff and Rob and I uh, wanted to focus on with editor Janine was to spend hours figuring out what's the heart of the character stories here with these four, now that they're all thrown into the situation together. And, uh, Man, it's it's everybody did a great job. Jeff Parker did an especially great job with an issue that I think people you just have no idea what's going to come. It, it's it's a big thing, and I think people will will enjoy it if they give it a shot. And you know, bookends with uh, with Tony Moore and uh, lots of good stuff in the middle. Yeah, 
Awesome. Can't wait. So cool. So um, now in addition to that, we saw you finally say good, good night to Fear Agent. Um, I know that's an emotional topic, but how did it, how, how was the reaction? Were you, you know, like, it's, it's over. It's kind of, I get, I'm a little choked up. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, the reaction was nice. You know, people, um, you know, people who, who there's always that part of the industry that just don't give a shit and they'll never cover it and they'll just act like it doesn't exist. And like, you know, whatever, it doesn't sell enough for them to care or whatever. So, um, those people are never going to, never going to care about it. And probably it'll always just, it'll always just not hit a, hit a, a sales, you know, level that'll, that'll warrant it to have acknowledgement. Um, <clears throat> but you know, like, the reaction that I did see from fans of it was, um, was, was very positive. And, and, you know, again, the end of the dark angel saga and, and the end of fear agent, I was working those both up around the same time. Um, or at least I was, uh, I, I knew they were going to be coming out around the same time. And I had a lot of anxiety given how much at that point had been built up for both of those things. And that if I didn't stick those landings, that that was, that was kind of going to be it. <laughs> like, if you build up a 32 issue story in something like Fury and don't stick your landing, there's a lot of people not going to come back. <laughs> I wouldn't, you know, I'd be like, Oh, well, thanks. You know, like lost, like <laughs> yeah. if, they, if they started that show again, even though, every, <laughs> even though we all kind of knew <clears throat> bullshit, <laughs> oh, fakery writer's room. <clears throat> um, even though you kind of knew, you're still hoping that the initial that, that the rumors you heard about how the show came together were wrong, and that there was still a plot for the end, and yeah. you know, there wasn't. It was like, and then there was a magic ghost dog, and he was a friend to everyone, and they had chili. Um, and I wouldn't go back and watch that if they relaunched that show. So in anything, you got to stick your landing if you want people to, you know. In, in Twin Peaks, for example, like yep. they did. I, that was a nightmare. Like the second season fell fell to shit. And at least for the last three four episodes, Frost and, and Lynch came back and, and stuck up some kind of a, of an interesting landing with it. But that that and was it, that was painful though. It was like after that's such a strong first season, and then that second season just to see it just get it's like they spread the pieces out on the table and walked away. And it was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> only to come back for the last three episodes just to kill everyone and, and, and shit on everything. But I kind of loved that. I don't know. I look yeah. back on that like you know it's it's Lynch and Frost just just blowing up their characters and yeah. having Bob possess Agent. You know, it's just all these really ugly things. And it was like a big fuck you, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> So it's nice that people have responded to both of those. And, and Fear Agent was, you know, it was one of these things where <clears throat> I just wanted to make at least one book that, uh, you know, if it was the only thing that I ever got to make and I ended up, you know, shuffling off and, and, and going back into video games and animation and I didn't keep doing comics, that there would be that one thing that I could go, hey, here's seven volumes of this. And I'm, yeah. and I, I'm pretty sure it's as good as I can do. Well, it was. I mean, it was. It was. I mean, it was that last issue. I mean, the last sequence was just again emotional, and you know, and, and it was just great. I mean, we raved about it and all that stuff. But yeah, I'm excited. But um, but, I, I, I appreciate the support. Beyond that, I know that you, you know, you you actually do enjoy it enough that you want to bang the drums, and and it helps. You know, yeah. I mean, if, if you if you guys have brought a couple thousand readers to the book and trade, and that that makes a big difference in, in being able to keep it in print. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. So, um, so now you know, with you being at Marvel, there was, there was a lot of the the. Kind of oh we're never gonna see creator on stuff again. But the other night on Twitter, you were posting art from the next uh, last days of American Crime. Did I see that correctly? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, what's um, happening? It's it's a story that I cooked up shortly after wrapping up the first one, and um, uh, <clears throat> Tokini couldn't come back and do it, and so I didn't I didn't want to do it until um, I, I I found an art team um, that I, I don't want to divulge who they are just yet, but. Um, I, I found a way to team two guys together who I'm a big fan of both and get something really exciting and unique out of it. And so um, got in touch with Radical and we put it together. You know, let's let's do a second one. The first one has sold, you know, it's sold gangbusters. It sold like 20,000 copies in trade. And, and, and Greg Tokini, it's blown him up in Europe. He's a superstar now because of it. As well he should be, you know, I mean, but he sold like every single original page in Europe and there's like, you know, it's translated into like five or six languages. It, it, it really was a, a pretty big thing, you know, um, for, for us. And beyond that, I had the second story. It was just something where I wanted to make sure I had art that was, that was uh, you know, of the same quality as the first one to carry it. And 
because God knows my writing can't. Oh, stop. <laughs> well, that's cool. So uh, what kind of sketch? I mean, like, it's, it's probably early on. Like, where, where, when do you think that's going to hit the, the world? Um, probably announce it not too, you know, not in too long. I, I, I really want, we've got 15 pages done right now. Um, I think that we all kind of want to get to a point where we've got, you know, like 30, 40 pages in the can and a couple covers. And I like, I like to announce things like, you know, like to do the official announcement late, late, late in the game where you can show lots. You want to get people crazy excited. And when all you've got is some sketches and a logo, it, it's, anticlimactic vaporware so, to a certain degree yeah. <laughs> cool so um yeah it's, i mean you're, you're one of the hardest working guys i mean i see you post that people find twitter you're you know you're up late you know killing yourself to get these books out and you know i personally appreciate it so thank you for everything you do so. oh yeah well it's i i i'm able to write stories for a living and, and people read them and, and pay for them so really i'm the one i'm, I'm the grateful one yeah Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Rick. You know, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's always good to, that you the, you remember us, us little people at iFanboy, to check in with uh, with with our with our audience. <laughs> oh, I don't. I, yeah, I don't look at it. <laughs> you're, you're not that little, Ron. <laughs> well, let's be honest, right? <laughs> We're neither of us so little anymore. <laughs> And a big thanks goes out to Rick for giving us of his time to chat about X-Force. Trust me, people, if you're not an X-Men fan, it doesn't matter. This is great comic book stuff. Um, everybody that reads it agrees. Go pick up the hardcovers. You won't regret it. Um, but in the meantime, go to ifanboy.com where you can check out all the other podcasts and writing. And there's the comic section where you do your pull list. Um, and you can email us at contact.ifanboy.com with any questions or concerns. As well as uh, follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash ifanboy and facebook.com slash ifanboy. So until next time, have a great holiday season and enjoy your comics. Bye.